welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We are in a series called Patterns. We're calling it Patterns, and we're looking at the 12th chapter of Romans, verse by verse, every Sunday through the summer. And it's meant to be a spiritual formation series, and last week we had a really great time together, a conversation together about worship and about committing our full selves to Jesus, bringing all of ourselves before Jesus, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything, our joys and trials to Jesus, committing to getting back up on the altar again. Paul says we're to be living sacrifices, and that means that we're to be shaped and molded by Jesus, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I felt it would be helpful to define Um, spiritual formation for us. And I love how Dallas Willard, he was an author uh, of recent, he's since passed away, but just a wonderful definition of what spiritual formation means. And so this is what we're working with as a definition. Dallas Willard said, spiritual formation is the process through which those who love and trust Jesus Christ effectively take on his character. Living our lives, if he were living, it if he were living, if he were in our place. I just love that definition of what spiritual formation looks like. And so last week, what we did is we read the scripture for the morning and then spent five minutes together in silence. And what we find in spiritual formation in apprenticeship of Jesus is that God speaks in silence. And for some of us, silence might be awkward, At best, everyone is right here all day. Just ask my son. You know, I'm I'm one of those. We're right here. And so to have the gift of a quiet moment is just so precious in our day and age. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read today's scripture three times from three different translations and allow to soak in that for a minute. And then we're going to take five minutes of silence together just to let God reorient our hearts and to reorient our minds and our spirit to connect with him. And just, you don't need to do anything during this time. The pressure's not on, right? The words are going to be up on the screen for the three uh, different translations of the scripture verse. Just receive the word of God and then just spend a quiet moment with God. What is he speaking to you this morning? I have a few ideas of what I want to say this morning. But you know, true transformation, what we're talking about, can only come through hearing God's voice. His voice changes us. His voice shapes us. His voice molds us. So let's, let's read this morning's scripture. This is from the Passage Translation, the Phillips Translation, and then the NIV. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
And then there's one more, Jules. Oh, that's the NIV. We already read it. Here's the, here's the third one. This is the Phillips translation. I love this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good. Meets all of his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Let's invite God's presence. Father, we're grateful for this quiet moment together. Father, you put breath in our lungs. We couldn't engineer our breathing. You created us. And so we're grateful. Transform us, Lord. We're grateful for this quiet moment with you. Speak to us, please. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all of his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Father, come and speak. We love you. We are expecting you. We're expectant this morning. We're grateful for your presence among us, and we just want to know you more. We want to know who you really are. Show us who you are today. Amen. Amen. So as you came in, you received not only a bulletin, but you received um, another uh, handout. And these are weekly devotionals that follow up on the teachings from each Sunday. Jason Torrance is a leader here, and you'll hear from at a couple of a couple of different points over the summer will be speaking along with a few others Billy will be speaking Ben Barnhart will be speaking and Jeff Fail and others will be speaking over the course of the summer we really value the diversity of voice here at the vineyard and this is a way for us to um, release as a resource for you the gift of communion through the week. To follow through, to follow along as a community is truly a gift. So you should have received one of those on the way, and I've already gotten super positive feedback uh, from a lot of different folks who have found these helpful throughout their week. So be sure to follow along. This is a, a really wonderful resource that Jason has provided for us, and so we're grateful for that. Also, 
I don't know if they were passing them out this morning, but oh, I'm just like stealing things from people, sorry. Um, you may have received a, sew, a piece of sewing pattern, or last week you received a piece of sewing pattern, and then remember I asked you to put it as a bookmark in your Bible, which you casually forgot and didn't do. That piece of, I'm kidding, that's a joke. Maybe you remembered. Okay, so you should have received a sewing paper, a piece of tissue paper, and this is a sewing pattern, and this will come into play here in a little bit, and we'll talk about that. Thank you, Cindy. Um, So really what we're talking about today is spiritual transformation and spiritual formation versus self-help. And what Ben and the team and I discovered that the Apostle Paul is doing through the 12th chapter of Romans is he's sort of juxtaposing two kind of ways of being or ways of thinking. And in verse 2, we find the juxtaposition, the um, contrast, if you were, between conformity and transformation. And we'll see how self-help plays a part in that and then in the positive um, affect, transformation. So first, I wanted to give you a little history lesson of the little sewing pattern that you hold in your hand. There is a lush history on sewing patterns. You may not know this, but in 1873, there's this guy. His name was Ebenezer Butterick. Like my name, my given name is Eben. It's not short for Ebenezer, but his full name was Ebenezer Butterick. And he founded the Butterick Sewing Company. What Butterick did was he discovered that all of um, the women, predominantly, in America were sewing and making clothes for their family out of the home. There was no manufactured sewing company or industry around. So what Butterick did is he said, aha, I've got an idea. I can provide that. Demand, supply and demand. And so Butterick developed a fashion magazine, and he called it the Delineator. Now, that's an interesting name. The word delineate is important for our talk this morning because the word delineate means to mark out, to mark out by lines. And so Butterick began to distribute these sewing patterns and this fashion magazine under the name Delineator. Now... About 10 years later, that name gets shortened as we Americans love to abbreviate things. And so he called the magazine the Deltor, which is the first three and the last three letters of the name Delineator. You get it? So Deltor. This word is important because this is the, this is the word, this is the term we use for that piece of tissue paper in your hand. That is called a Deltor. That is a deltor. You learn something new every day, don't we? So this deltor becomes vastly important, not only in the sewing industry, but to Butterick's company in the year 1948. And here's the important change that takes place. This is really key. In 1948, Butterick Company buys two huge printing presses. Technology's advancing, and now what the Butterick Company can do is they can put the markings on the sewing paper. So it's no longer a pre-cut form of sewing pattern, but now Butterick is designing 
a language, if you were, that communicates with the seamstress to tell she or he how to cut, where to cut, and when to cut. So if you'll notice on your little sewing pattern, you have a common language that's written or marked out or delineated to tell you how to cut things out in order to make that dress, that shirt, that jacket that you are wearing. So the spiritual analogy here, this word pattern is um, kind of like trifold in meaning. What Paul is saying, the word pattern is specifically tied to dressmaking. Do you see? There's root words in there of pater and patron, someone who uh, pays for services, patronizes you. Pater, P-A-T-E-R, is the word for father. There's authority there in the sewing pattern. To shape the fabric the way it ought to be. So the spiritual analogy, what Paul is saying is that that sewing paper, that tissue paper that you have in your hand, there is a pattern that the present age, the culture in which you live, is the sewing pattern. And there are ways of being and ways of thinking and opinions of the culture around that want to be placed on you, the fabric, to be cut the way the world wants you to be cut, to think the way that the world wants you to think. Another image that might be helpful for you bakers out there is the image of a bunt cake mold. Do you know this? And it's sort of like, um, well, you know what a bunt cake mold looks like, and we would then be the batter. And the batter is poured into the bunt cake mold and leveled off, given a little bit room to rise. I'm, I've never, is this correct? I've never cooked a bunt cake in my life. What am I talking about? I don't know. Cindy's giving me the thumbs up. This is correct. Okay. And so the, the bunt cake batter, we are poured into the mold to be shaped the way the mold is configured. Squeezed in, N.T. Wright says. New Testament theologian N.T. Wright says, there is a way the world is trying to squeeze you in to the way that it sees you. Or you are to see yourself. Or you are to see others around you. There is a way. There is a tired way In the negative, there is a tired way in which the world tries to place its pattern, sewing pattern, on you, the fabric. There's a way about thinking about different ethnicities. There's a way about thinking about different genders. There's a way that the world tries to squeeze you into thinking about other people, isn't there? In the positive, there's a way that the world provides solution to all of the human condition. There's a pattern that the world tries to place on you, and the pattern is self-help. If you want to get better, look within yourself. Now, Jesus said the kingdom is within you, but Jesus never said the help comes from you. Jesus said nothing about positive self 
talk or positive self-help. We'll get into that in a little bit here. But not being conformed to the pattern of the world means for followers of Jesus that our growth, our help, cannot come from anywhere else but through the person of Jesus by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. True growth, true help comes from the Holy Spirit. Not being conformed to the pattern means that as apprentices of Jesus, we are just that, always the apprentice, never the master. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul talks about clothing ourselves, doesn't he? Clothing ourselves. The old deltor, as it were, in the world does not fit us anymore. Paul is saying you're Clothe yourselves in the new sewing pattern that I've provided. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This is what he's saying. Not being conformed to the pattern means that we we are committed to being transformed people. Now, comic George Carlin expressed the irony of the world's solution to the human condition in self-help when he said this. He said, if you're looking for self-help, why would you read a book written by somebody else? That's not self-help. That's help. There's no such thing as self-help. If you did it yourself, you didn't need help. Which is a funny way of drawing out the irony of self-help. Do you know in 2016, the U.S., the United States self-help industry was worth about $9.9 billion. And market researchers have predicted that the industry will be worth $13 billion within 2022. Now, a little history on the self-help movement. You guys got two history lessons this morning. So good. Samuel Smiles. Oh yeah, his name was Samuel Smiles. The leader and founder of the self-help movement's name was Samuel Smiles. Samuel Smiles authored a book. It's called Self-Help, and it was published in 1859. In his book, Smiles promoted the idea of self-empowerment through a never-say-die approach towards life. In doing so, Self-help, this book that Samuel Smiles wrote in 1859, became one of the world's bestsellers overnight. Self-help has outsold Charles Darwin's The Origin of Species. In his book, the notion of self-empowerment that became the main kind of tagline for self-help, according to Smiles, is... Heaven helps those who help themselves. Does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar because the self-help movement has not changed since 1859. It may take on a different veneer, but this is the idea that smiles ushers in in 1859. Heaven helps those who help themselves. Question mark added there by me. We'll get there in a second. Does heaven really help those who help themselves? is the question that I'm laying before us all this morning. Think about that one for a minute. Heaven helps those who help themselves. By the 2000s, the self-help genre had blossomed from a paperback beginning to a full-blown industry. 
Despite its various makeovers through the decades, self-help never really left the advice of its founder, heaven helps those who help themselves. What this means for us is that there is a better way. If we read scripture, if we value scripture, if we value the inerrancy of scripture, of what God is saying through the apostle Paul, in Romans 12 too, what we read is that there is a Jesus way to see our lives outside of heaven helps those who help themselves. There is a third way, y'all. There's a new way in Jesus in very tangible ways. How do we, how do, we do that? How do we go about that? The Jesus way of seeing ourselves, of seeing the Father, of seeing our neighbors, of seeing our kids, of seeing our spouse, of seeing our communities. How do we go about that? If heaven only helps those who help themselves is not the solution to the human condition, then how do we see? How do we see those around us? Well, we're given the answer in lotus feet versus butterfly metamorphosis. Clever. Lotus feet versus butterfly metamorphosis. The idea is one of juxtaposition here. There's an ancient practice that you may be familiar with or not of um, foot binding. Do you know about foot binding? So in ancient Chinese dynasties, the women in that culture probably driven by men, because we all know the backstory, right? Of who, owned, who really owns history. Saw the foot of the Chinese woman as more beautiful if it were constricted and smaller. And so what women in China would do was they would take rope and bind it tightly around their feet to constrict and contort the foot so it would conform to the beautiful shape. Hold that. The idea is juxtaposed against the metamorphosis that happens when a caterpillar enters a cocoon. Chinese foot binding was contorted, it was constricted, it was unnatural. What happened, it was fast. The transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly is slow, y'all. It's natural. It's a wonder. And truly something beautiful emerges. And this is what Paul is saying when he says, don't conform to the pattern. Don't conform. Don't constrict to how people want to see you. And the ideas that they would like to place on you through advertising, through any number of different means and resources. But rather, Paul is saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are those different? How are those different ideas hanging out in in our minds? And how do those ideas flesh out in our world, in our everyday lives? What's different about conformity and transformation? What's, what's so different about self-help and transformation? How are those two any different from one another, you might ask? 
What Paul is saying is this. He's not, he's saying that it's not heaven helps those who help themselves, but rather the kingdom settles on those who cannot help themselves. That's transformation. That's worth saying again. Or like five times. Paul is saying not that heaven helps those who help themselves. Bless you. Help yourself to blessing. (laughs) Paul is saying not that heaven helps those who help themselves, but rather the kingdom settles on those who cannot help themselves. That's the message of the gospel. You didn't get into the kingdom. I didn't get into the kingdom by helping myself. It wasn't me who pulled myself out of the pit. It wasn't you who raised yourself out of the pit. You needed somebody bigger than you. You needed somebody bigger than the drug addiction. You needed somebody greater than the addiction to pornography. You needed somebody to help you get out. You could not help yourself. That's the mission. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That we could not help ourselves. And that's who the kingdom settles on. The kingdom settles on. And it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like, you know, God helped me way back then. We never move past being an apprentice. That's the beauty of the kingdom is that we're all beginners. We don't have it figured out. And once you get over the control freak that you can control your own destiny and that you have things pretty much figured out in your neat little tidy corner of the world that you are not in control and you will never be in control. I am not in control. There's no politician that's in control. Jesus reigns. Jesus commands the the destiny of every human heart on the planet. Then we can start to see that the kingdom settles on brokenness. That the kingdom is attracted to weakness. That the kingdom rests with the humble. And so we never get out of saying, God, help. That's the best prayer you can pray. God, help. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the resource within me. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not any of these things. I bring nothing to the equation. Jesus brings everything. And so we never move beyond. God, I cannot save myself. I can't help myself. I need help. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that's in here. How kind, how kind is that? Because every other religion, every other explanation says you can be good enough to win God's favor. You can make enough packs with God to get his smile. God, I promise I will never take another drink again. I won't sin for the next three days if you come and help, right? This is, we make these deals with God that he just stamps null and void. 
null and void, and just continue, like, what are you doing? I just picture the Lord, like, he's, he's just like, what are you doing? Like, how good is good enough? I mean, we're told in Scripture that even, even, the, um, even the choicest, like, good, lay, lay your blasted goodness down at the throne. Because there is no one here that can be good enough. Who is good enough? Who is bad enough? So you see, it's less about sin avoidance and more about the kingdom abundance that God ushers into our lives through transformation. Conforming to the pattern of this world. Now, I'm not devaluing um, the spiritual disciplines. Right? It's important to keep our eyes on Jesus and to get in the word. We love the Bible. And to practice the discipline of hearing his voice through the written word of God. Getting alone with God and hearing God's voice for you. In diligence and in consistency. Constantly coming back to spending time with Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. However, if we are doing that as a way to win something of God's favor... It's just dead religion. At the end of the day, it's just like anything else. Which provides us with the solution of like, well, do more good stuff, and then God will be good to you. It's karma, right? You do good things for other people, and then, whoa, somehow in the cosmic universe that I'm not living in, good comes back around to you somehow. I'm not presenting a pessimistic worldview. I'm just saying that's not the Cleveland that I live in. That's not the real world. Sometimes you do really great stuff and crappy things happen to you. Sometimes you do really crappy things to your spouse. You (laughs) and me. And good things happen to us. But thank the Lord for transformation, that it's his work, not ours. That's the difference between transformation and conformity to the pattern. Transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. His work, the inner shift that he does. Yeah, there may be an element of spiritual discipline on our part, but the work belongs to the Spirit. Genuine transformation is not something that we accomplish by anything that we do. True transformation is solely a work of God brought about by him renewing our minds by truth. Hearing the truth and not just hearing, but accept, yes, that is the truth about who you say you are, who I say, who you say I am, who you say these people are. This is truth because we've all been fed or choose to believe lies about ourselves, about God, about others around us. There are lies that you and I cling to. Do you know that? There are lies that you are holding this morning that are keeping you back from the Spirit's transformation in your life. There are lies that I cling to in my life. Uh, Vulnerability. Okay. So one lie is that people are not for me. This deep, where did that come from? Is that really God's heart for me? 
his son who he loves, some of you guys might be able to relate, relate, that everyone's against you, that no one has your best interest in mind. And where does that come from in my mind? From set patterns. This is a pattern of the world that the enemy has been wanting to cut me into for the better part of my childhood growing up, that others are not for me. I remember the first time I came to teach in Chicago. I was in Chicago. And it was literally like two minutes before I got up in front of people and started speaking. And, you know, there's probably like 20 people there, but there might as well have been like 10,000 in my mind. I was like, here it comes. This is it. I mean, revival is going to start. And Rand uh, stopped me. My pastor, my senior pastor stopped me like right before. I mean, it's literally like two minutes before I went up. And he said, Evan, he just looked at me and smiled. He's just like, I just want to let you know that people are for you today. And what a treasure that's been for me. And something in, in what he was telling me, what he was speaking was really God's heart over me. And in doing so, he was destroying the lie that I had bought into over the course of like decades. That no one is for me. How could anyone have my best interest in mind? That's the lie of the enemy. The truth is that people are for me today. People are for you today. Just a little side nugget. So if true transformation, true transformation is a work of the spirit, and conformity is us trying to help ourselves or to get better, then how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, Paul goes on to say that we're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds. This Greek word for renewing. Man, I had it all figured out this morning, Ben. I had it. Anakai no o. It's pretty close. Means to renovate, to renew, to make new. We're to be transformed by the renovation or the renewal of our minds. This word mind is like inclusive of heart. It's less compartmentalized than we Americans see it. It's like by the, by the whole of who you are, be transformed. There is kind of like a brain element happening here in the scripture, um, but it's lower in priority in how the definition works out. Be renewed in the way that you think. Jesus wants to change our minds. How many of you have someone in your life who is stubborn? Oh, you don't know anyone like that? Someone who, once they make up their mind, it's impossible to change? Oh, not you. You wouldn't know anybody like that, would you? Someone who's stubborn and sticks to, digs their heels in. You don't know anybody like that, would you? Everyone, good Christians here this morning. <laughs> okay. All right, just saying. (laughs) 
boy. It means to change our minds. To change the way that we think. About what? If we're to be transformed, it means that we're to have our minds changed. And a lot of um, teaching on this will stop there. Really, the full, the full picture is not just of like Jesus changing your mind about the way that you think about bad things. Right? That's typically, that's typically the punchline. Like, change your mind about all those bad things that you used to do. Like, turn away from those bad things. The, the full picture, beyond changing our mind, is that in transformation, and here's the difference between self-help coming from outside of yourself, is that God is downloading to you a new operating system. It's not just changing the way that you think about the things that you used to do. But he's giving you a new operating system. He's like, you guys were PC, and now you're on Mac. All the PC people are like hating. Boo. It's the other way around. Darkness and sin is the apple, and PC is the kingdom. (laughs) Regardless of which analogy you want to take side in, this is what Paul is saying means to renew your mind, that God is downloading to you a new operating system, not just about the way that you think about the bad things that you used to do, but about all the good stuff that he's placed in your life to move towards in maturity. It's like a holistic way of looking at transformation. But this is difficult because in the culture of self-help and knowing Zero stubborn people, as you said. (laughs) It's difficult because in the culture of self-help and in our own heads, we are the masters and everyone else is the apprentice. I've got something to teach you. And that's the way that we view. We think that if the whole world worked the way that I saw it, all of its problems would disappear. Don't we think that? We try to project that onto our spouse all the time. If you, if you just saw it the way that I saw it, this world would be a whole lot better place. The truth is that you're both jacked up. And the only help is the blood of Jesus. That, that's, all, that's all marriaging in a nutshell. A marriage without Jesus in the center, my old pastor Rich Nathan said, is like two dogs. Wait, two ticks and no dog. There's no life source to suck from. You just keep on trying to change each other. Why don't you see it the way that I see it? Oh, you never listen to me. Oh, you don't hear me. Oh, you're so selfish. You always do that. You never do this. Why aren't you listening to me? And we suck, 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 suck the life out of one another. And Jesus is like, hey, Hey guys, get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of your spouse and put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Amen, I'm done for the day because that's just the way it is. Get your eyes on Jesus. Eben, put your eyes on Jesus. 
Because Jesus loves your spouse way more than you do. And Jesus loves yourself, you, way more than you do. And Jesus loves your kids way more than you do. And Jesus loves your neighbors more than you do. And Jesus even loves your annoying coworker more than you do. Two ticks and no dog. So our minds are renewed. And then the final part, and we'll close here. I know I'm running a little bit long. What happens as we commit ourselves to worship? In verse 1, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, continuously getting back up on the altar, serving others, showing up, and just worshiping Jesus with as much grace as he's giving us to worship him. We worship what we know. We worship what we know. However, the bigger picture of God that we project, the deeper we'll go in worship. We worship what we know, and you're going to worship something or somebody. So what does all that mean? Paul gives us the outworking of what happens. He says, then you will be able to test or approve or simply see the fingerprints of God on your life. What he wants, what brings him joy, what brings others life, because there are things that make him happy beyond sin avoidance. Did you know that? We're told over and over again in the New Testament that there are things that make the Lord happy. He's a person. He's not just some force like from Star Wars. There are things that you are in who you are. There are things that only you can do that make God happy. Like he's not just tolerating you today. It's not like, oh crap, I got to spend time with these people again. Ugh. I've got orphans to save. Uh, that's not who the Father is. The Father is pleased to spend time with you. You're his favorite. I'm his favorite. Yeah. Feels good. He loves spending time with you. There's nowhere else he'd rather be. He's not too busy, out of job. He's not absent in a drunken haze somewhere. He's not overbearing. He's not a helicopter dad waiting to take you out. Helicopter parents, you know about this? He's not a helicopter parent waiting to like call you out for the sin that you just committed. He's like open-handed. And he's like, come, come. And as our minds are renewed, as we begin to let Jesus shape and transform us, Paul says, then, then, as we come broken, that's the prerequisite for transformation, as we give up our deadly goodness and we come broken, we don't bring anything, only our sin, we allow for the work of transformation to happen in us by the work of the Spirit, he begins to give us the download, the new operating system, renewing or renovating or making our minds new, clean, fresh, effervescent with the work and life of the Spirit. Paul says, then, then you'll be able to test and approve what makes God happy. Then you'll be able to see 
then you'll be able to hear the call of the kingdom on your life. Another way of saying this is that though the work of spiritual formation is never done, there will be fruit that you can see. And if you don't see it, ask somebody close to you. Don't be timid to be vulnerable. That's actually being brave. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's bravery. What do you see in my life that's good? You ever ask anybody that? What do you see in my life that's good? There will be fruit. You will become a more patient person. You will become a more loving, gentle, caring, kind, generous, wise, humble, grateful person. You'll begin to step into the fullness of why God created you in the first place. This is the outworking of the resurrection life in you. The whole story is one of transformation. Think about it. Jesus came to live, and then he died. Something that no one ever comes back from. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. That's transformation. That's transformation. And that's the work, the resurrection work that Jesus wants to do in every one of us. To change our minds. You know, just to level with you. Uh, second time I said I'm going to close. Gosh, it's like how many times? Do you ever count the times that preachers say they're going to close and then it's like another 10 minutes and they're like, and with this final thought. And then another 10 minutes pass and they're like, one last thing. And then 10 more minutes and they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's like two people left in the seats. They're like, and for those of you who are more holy... I value your time. I really do. (laughs) Sharon, stop encouraging me. (laughs) You're going to get it. You know, for the better part of three years, I was abusing uh, substances. I was hooked. I was hooked on a various number of drugs. I couldn't live without uh, substance in my life. Now, if you would have asked me in those days, I don't know. I was, pre- I was pretty rebel-hearted. I, I, I might have been like, yeah, I'm addicted, so what? Makes me feel good. But if you would have really asked me to be like somewhat honest and not sarcastic, I would have been like denial, number one. I would have been like, I'm not addicted. What are you talking about? I'm just doing what makes me feel good, right? And this went on in my life for the better part of three years. And my friends, you know, really great friends, gave me all of my drugs for free. (laughs) Wonderful people. In exchange, I got a sense of belonging or a sense of tribe, right? Tribe, belonging, I hold that loosely. But really, that's where, like, identity came from, was drug abuse and belonging with this group of people. We thought we were like the ones who saw it right, that life was all about getting high and partying. And it was a lifestyle, and it was ruining me, and it was driving me to the grave. And so when the Lord met me, I'll I'll spare you super details, but the Lord met me in this dream. And it was the day after that I had just 
giving up. I'm like, I'm done with this. This isn't leading to life in my life. It's leading to death. The Lord gave me this dream. I went to sleep on Thanksgiving night. And I, I would tell you in those days, I couldn't put two sentences together. My head was like how television sets used to be in between channels. You know, the ant races? That was like what my thinking was like. The in-between TV stations. Can anybody resonate? It was fuzzy. It wasn't clear. It was confused. There were all these things happening in my mind, all these lies that were taking root in my head. And after that dream in the morning, I woke up. The prayer that I prayed right before I went to sleep that night was, God, help. God, help. If you're really real, if what happened the night before was real, if you really laid before me the choice of life and death and said, choose one, if that was real, if that experience wasn't just some drug-induced, like, haze, I need, God, I need help. I need you to just, like, make these voices stop. Like, I need some clarity in my thinking. I can't even put two thoughts together. And wouldn't you know, in the morning, I woke up, after that dream, I woke up free. (sighs) Like I could breathe. Like the biggest burden had been lifted off of my back. I could put two thoughts together. I thought I was seeing the world right, but I really wasn't. I was really in confusion. And, but now, ah, I can see. I was blind, but now I can see and vision. And this is what I wanted to say about that. Is that my friends, I would come back to them and I'd invite them to this place called the vineyard because I thought that's where God lived. I was like, oh my gosh, every time I go there, they play the music and the hair on the back of my neck stands up. And these people, they're all my age. There was a young adult community. They're all my age and their parents aren't making them come to church. Like what's going on here? It's like 900 people here. And no one's forcing them to be here. I didn't understand. I was like, guys, you got to get some of this. This is amazing. This is better than any drug I've ever felt. I didn't understand. I just knew that Jesus was changing my life. And I'd take some of them, and they would sit in the chairs with me and judge and judge. And they'd walk away and be like, man, you're in a cult, dude. And then they'd go back to smoking weed. And later after that, they moved on to like cocaine and harder drugs. And a few of them passed away of overdoses. We lost a few of them. You know, God's sovereign hand, the moment was critical for me and plucked me out of that. And then I'd take them to the new church and they'd be like, this is a cult, man. What are you doing there? This is ridiculous. I was like, that's fine if you think that because you can't lay the pattern. You can't lay your pattern on me anymore. I'm different. Like that, that pattern doesn't fit on me anymore. That way of thinking doesn't fit on me anymore. And wouldn't she know it? I'd keep on coming back to those friends, and they stopped recognizing. They couldn't even recognize me anymore. That's transformation. When you start to look different, there's something in your eyes that's different. You'll know a person who's been transformed or is in the work of transformation. Their eyes will be different. They'll be different. That's what I wanted to leave you with, the work of transformation. Why don't you join me in standing? We're going to allow that. 
work of transformation in our lives.